you are a good and merciful and gracious God, that you are holy, that you are perfect, Lord. I thank you that you know all things, God, that you know each and every one of us, Lord, um, that though you are powerful, that you choose to engage in a relationship with us, Lord. Thank you um, that we can lift up our requests to you, Lord, knowing that you care, that you hear them, Lord, that you answer them according to your perfect plan and your will, Lord. Um, I lift up all these requests that were made here tonight, Lord, uh, these prayers. I pray that um, this would have been an opportunity for all of us to draw closer to you, Lord, to pour out our hearts before you and to, to align our hearts and our minds with you and with your will, Father. I pray that you would be answering each of those requests according to your perfect will, Lord, that you would um, bring about the end to those that you have in mind, Father. I pray that you would be growing us closer to you, Lord, uh, growing our faith, helping us to be drawing near to you each day as we seek you in humility, Lord, uh, that you might be glorified. I pray for our time in your word this evening, Lord, that you would be with us. I pray that you would be working in our hearts and our minds, God, as we read this. I pray that you would be preparing us for the message you would have each of us learn here tonight, God, that that might vary from person to person. Uh, but I ask that we would each walk away from here um, feeling as though you have spoken to us, Father. Um, I pray that you would bless this time, that you would be over uh, this teaching, God, that you would guide me as I present this these truths, Lord, that they would be faithful to your word and glorifying to you and edifying to the church, Lord. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Good evening, everyone. It's great to see you all here. Uh, it's nice to, to be back here on a Wednesday night. Uh, the, the Wednesday service is always fun. I know it's uh, a little less stressful for me after uh, teaching last Sunday, so that's um, kind of a, a nice change of pace in some ways. Um, I'm excited to be here again with you all. Uh, we're continuing our study through the book of Deuteronomy, as I'm sure you all know. Uh, if anyone needs a Bible, uh, we go ahead and raise your hand. We do have some in the back there. One of the guys can help you out. Um, otherwise, uh, we'll be, be getting going here. Uh, so the book of Deuteronomy, uh, as we've been discussing, is uh, kind of Moses' last address to the people of Israel before he goes to die and they go in to take the promised land. Uh, so this is Moses' closing words to the people of Israel, recorded over the course of a few days uh, and as a number of different sermons, basically, that were given to the people. Um, so the book of Deuteronomy repeats a lot of what we saw in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers um, but kind of some of it um, shortened down a little bit and with a little bit of extra information kind of added in by Moses too, some insight we see from Moses as to what was going on, what God was doing, and a little more big picture stuff with that. So it's fun to kind of see how that all fits together. Um, Moses is preparing the people for this transition into a new settled style of living, uh, preparing them for the conquest of the promised land that would have to precede that and reminding them of God's faithfulness to the generation that was about to go in and his faithfulness to the previous generation that had just died, the generation that God brought out of Egypt in the Exodus. Uh, so there's a lot to learn from here. Um, I've been enjoying studying it and hopefully this is a, a good opportunity for all of us to learn. Um, so last week, Pastor Tom 
brought us through the first part of Deuteronomy chapter 4. So we're going to be picking up there in chapter 4, verse 25. And uh, one of the, the final things that a lot of Tom's sermon focused on, a lot of this passage focused on, was idolatry. That the people of Israel were reminded of how dangerous idolatry was, how much God hated idolatry, how much God desired their exclusive worship. Um, and so it kind of is going to be picking up with that same theme again here tonight, um, talking about just the uniqueness of God and how special he is, how he desires that exclusive worship. Uh, we're going to see this evening how a unique God called a unique people for a unique purpose. And that this was all part of his plan and his desire for the nation of Israel. And so our focus point this evening, kind of what we're going to drill in on a little bit, um, is that because of God's character, that he alone is worthy of worship. And this is a big theme throughout the scriptures, uh, but I think it's especially addressed here uh, in these passages we're going through tonight, that God is special. God is unlike any other being in the universe, and God is worthy of devotion, of worship, and of obedience. And I think that's a big part of uh, that worship God desires, is the obedience of his people. So the closing verse uh, that Tom left off with last week is uh, Deuteronomy 4.24 reminds the people that the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Uh, that God is jealous for worship. He is jealous for our soul affections. And that's very much true for us today, as for the people of Israel as well, that God is a jealous God. He's a consuming fire who desires to have that special, exclusive relationship with his people. And so picking up in verse 25, he tells the people, when your father's children and children's children have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed." And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you're in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. And so Moses is reminding the people, again, of the strict consequences given for this idolatry, uh, that if they stray from God and from his commands, if they start worshiping man-made images, the gods of the peoples around them, that God will take them out of the land. It says he will call heaven and earth as witness against them. In verse 26, 
that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you were going over the Jordan to possess. That God is willing to give this land to this people as he had promised, but if they disobey, he will kick them out. That He will punish them for what they have done. Uh, Tom said something last week along the lines of, you know, the, the people want to worship false idols. God says, okay, you think this is what you want to do? I'm going to put you in a position where you have to do that, where you'll be surrounded by idolatry. You'll be cast out of the land I've given you and taken captive by other nations who worship various gods, and you'll be forced to serve them, to worship their gods. But God will give you over to those desires. Uh, really ties in a lot, I think, with uh, that, that same theme of we see in Romans chapter 1, that God gives the rebellious, gives the sinful over to their sins, to their own desires, to experience the full effect of that. That the greatest punishment God can give is to give someone over to what they think they want in their own sinfulness. And that's what God is telling the people of Israel here, what Moses is warning them against, that if they stray from God's command, that God will drive them out of the land and punish them. But it's interesting when we read this, in this very same section here, God talks so harshly about the punishment waiting for them if they worship false gods, but he gives them hope as well in these same verses. He says in verse 29, but from there, when they're taken away in captivity, you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and all your soul. It says in verse 31, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. These words in verse 29 and 30, it's interesting. It's uh, almost the same as what the prophet Jeremiah tells the people of Israel uh, later on. That he, he's telling them of the upcoming not the upcoming, but the, the extension of this exile they were going to experience. They were going to continue to live outside of the land of Israel, in a foreign land, under an oppressive ruler, in a nation where they worship false gods. And Jeremiah tells the people that they will seek the Lord their God. They will find him when they seek him with all their hearts. And that they return to him, they can experience forgiveness and restoration. Uh, that there is that hope, even in the midst of their disobedience, that God will restore them if they repent and turn back to him. And the hope they have is tied into God's character. Verse 31, the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. That God promises to be faithful to the people of Israel, to be faithful to the promises he made to their forefathers because of who he is, that they don't have hope that they're going to be good enough or that they're going to obey well enough. They have hope that God is faithful and that God will forgive them. And again, this is a stern warning before they even go in to live in the land of Israel, but God gives them that hope alongside with it. I think it's interesting to um, tie those two ideas together. I know when I, I first read this, it seems like kind of an interesting, kind of almost an odd switch there. That there's punishment and there's restoration almost within the same verses. Uh, but I think when we imagine God as a father, as scriptures predict, as uh, scriptures describe him, 
that really, what loving father, what loving parent doesn't discipline his children? The scriptures tell us just that. And we think about good discipline is focused on consequences for the wrong that has been done, but also on restoration of the person, of that child. Uh, A parent disciplines a child, they're punishing them for what they have done, for them straying out of the bounds they've been given. But their desire is to lead them back into obedience, to restore that right relationship that they desire with their child, and to see them learn and grow from the experience. And that's what God is telling the people of Israel here, that there will be consequences if they disobey. But God is still their God and still will be faithful to them. Chapter 4, verse 32. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day, know therefore today and lay it to your heart, that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath, and there is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. So these verses remind the people of Israel that they're looking to God, that they have a special relationship with God, that it's not just any deity that's giving them this, that it is the one true God, that they're surrounded by people who worship all these false idols, these gods of their own making, uh, that they think govern certain areas of life or certain geographical areas. And God is reminding them that this is a special relationship they have with a very special God, with the one true God. God reminds them that he has chosen to take them into the land, that they did nothing to deserve this, that God was faithful to the promises he gave and to this people for his purposes, that God was faithful to fulfill those promises given so long before. It also speaks about how God did all of these things in order to lead them to himself, to remind them of his greatness, his power, his might, and his love for them. Verse 35, it says, To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. That God did this very unique act of rescuing a people 
out of oppression, out of bondage to another nation, taking them out of that situation, bringing them to himself, giving them his covenant, his law, teaching them faithfully through their time in the wilderness that they might know that he is God and that there is no other God like him. He speaks also about the greater and mightier nations that he cast out before them, reminding the people of Israel that he was with them and that there was no way they could be in this position without God, that God was faithful in doing all of these things, that God was powerful enough to do all these things, and that it wasn't anything the people of Israel had done to deserve it or even could accomplish on their own. This was the work of God done on God's initiative. And so he reminds them in verse 39 that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath, beneath there is no other. And because of that, they have to keep his statutes and his commandments in verse 40. That it may go well with you and with your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. That the final outcome of this is guaranteed by God, that this God is powerful enough, he is strong enough, that he is faithful to do these things. He says he's giving them this land for all time but that they have to obey this God to prolong their days. That the experience they have of this is tied to their obedience. God is going to be faithful to do his work. He is going to accomplish what he set out to do regardless of how well the people of Israel obey. But what the people of Israel do, how well they obey, can have a direct bearing on their experience in the land God is giving them. That they can obey God and experience blessing and longevity in the land he's giving them, or they can disobey God and experience hardship, suffering, and even be temporarily exiled from that land that God is giving them. And again, God is going to accomplish what he will in the long term, but their obedience has a direct correlation with whether they get to be a part of God's work in this and experience his blessing, or if they'll experience God's judgment for their disobedience. So the reminder to be very wary of idolatry, to avoid the false worship of the people around them. The reminder Moses gives, that God gives them through Moses, of his faithfulness to them, of the work he had done and how much he had done for them in bringing them here. And the next few verses kind of jump back a little bit into some more kind of law type things. Uh, Moses talks about the cities of refuge. Uh, If you remember some of our previous studies, these were um, given as part of the the process for trying someone for a murder. There was a a city of refuge they could flee to. Uh, They would go and stay there, kind of wait out their time, uh, wait for the elders to make judgment on what had happened or not, and see if uh, they, they were going to be executed or avenged for the death they had caused. So that's what we're talking about here in this next section, uh, Deuteronomy 4, verse 41. Then Moses set apart three cities in the east beyond the Jordan, that the manslayer might flee there. Anyone who kills his neighbor unintentionally without being at enmity with him in the time past, he may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland for the Reubenites, Ramoth, and Gilead for the Gadites, and Golan and Bashan for the Manassites. 
So in this next section, kind of a little bit of a shift to gears again, uh, Moses is here introducing what's going to be a recap of the law that God had given his people. As part of this covenant God had made with the people of Israel, we have this Old Testament law that we've studied. You know, we saw introduced in Exodus, uh, all throughout Leviticus, um, a little bit even in Numbers. Um, so Deuteronomy has a big portion of this recap of the law, kind of reminding the people of Israel of who their God was, of the special relationship they had with him, of how they were to obey him and what they had to do to stay in his blessing as they dwelt within the land. Deuteronomy 4, verse 44. This is the law that Moses set before the people of Israel. These are the testimonies, the statutes, and the rules which Moses spoke to the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. Beyond the Jordan, in the valley opposite Beth Peor, in the land of Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon, whom Moses and the people of Israel defeated when they came out of Egypt, and they took possession of his land and the land of Og, the king of Bashan, the two kings of the Amorites who lived to the east beyond the Jordan, from Aroar, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, as far as Mount Sirion, that is Hermon, together with all the Arabah on the east side of Jordan, as far as the sea of the Arabah under the slopes of Pisgah. So reminding the people of Israel that God had brought them out of the land of Egypt, that they were dwelling beyond the Jordan. They had not yet entered into the promised land, that they were still waiting outside of it for God to give them these final directions and to commission this new leader to lead them into the promised land. He also reminds them of his faithfulness, another people group that they had defeated, that God had defeated for them that they had seen God's faithfulness in that area as well. So that kind of introduces what Moses is going to talk about in chapter 5. So starting in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 1. It says, And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who were all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire. While I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, we'll pause there for a moment. So Moses is reminding the people of Israel the significance of this law, that this is the law that God gave them at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, that this was what God had given to them when he met with them to make this covenant on top of the mountain. It says, in the midst of the fire, that Moses stood between the Lord and the people at that time, declaring the words of the Lord. He also speaks of this covenant in verse 3. It says, Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. And so when we look at that, literally, this covenant was made with 
their fathers, with the generation before them. Uh, Most of that generation passed away in the wilderness because of their disobedience to God. So this is the new generation preparing to enter into the land. But Moses is telling them that this covenant was not just for their parents' generation, that this was a lasting covenant, that they were going to see God fulfill this covenant, that they were going to be part of that, and that this covenant extended beyond just that one generation, that this was part of God's working over time. We also see in verse 5 that the people were afraid because of the fire, because of the presence of the Lord on the mountain, and did not go up onto it. Verse 6, he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal. And you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So we have here... Again, this probably sounds familiar to most of you. A recap of the Ten Commandments. Uh, We're not going to spend a ton of time on this this evening. Uh, Tom did do an entire sermon on the Ten Commandments when it was first brought up in Exodus. Uh, So if you guys want to look back at that, feel free to. Uh, But a few things to notice here in this recap of the Ten Commandments. In verse 6, God reminds the people that he is the Lord, their God. This is their God who brought you, it says, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That this is the God who's giving these laws to them. That God has already done all of this work on their behalf. That he has initiated this special covenant relationship with these people. And now he's giving them the laws, the terms they're to live by under this covenant. That this is God's expectations for this special relationship that he has initiated. One of the main focuses here in the Ten Commandments is the worship of God. How people relate to God. That God 
as it said earlier, is a jealous God, that he desires exclusive worship, that he desires reverence, that God must be seen as holy, and that has to impact how the people of Israel live their lives and how we live our lives today, that God is holy and he alone is worthy of worship. He speaks about reverencing God, about the importance of the Sabbath rest. And again, reminds the people of the work that God has done, that he is their God and that he has already been faithful to them and will continue to be faithful to them. Uh, speaks about how they're to relate to one another, uh, that God has expectations for how his people interact with other people, that they're to interact differently, they're to live life differently because of their relationship with God. That's to impact everything they do in a way that, especially uh, for the people of Israel, would stand out from the nations around them, would make them different and notable because of their relationship with the one true God. And then Ten Commandments, when we look at them today, really reflect so much of God's character and his values uh, that we can see a lot of who God is and what's important to God when we read his law. Um, That God gives meaning to right and wrong. That truth is grounded in God. And that we have to have these absolutes in order to have an ordered society. And those absolutes are tied to an absolutely holy God who has expectations, who has desires, and who alone is worthy of worship and of our obedience. Continuing on in verse 22. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness, with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of this fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and has still lived? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear and do it. This is recording the response of the people of Israel to the giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. That they see this awe-inspiring display of God's power on the mountain there. They're reminded of God's holiness and of the danger that comes with disobeying such a powerful, holy, perfect God. And because of that, they're driven to fear that they're afraid of the Lord. Uh, that they respect the Lord, they see the power God has and revere him because of that power and that holiness. That they desire to be careful with that, to not offend this holy God. 
And so God responds to them in verse 28. It says, And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Go and say to them, return to your tents. But you stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them, that they may do them in the land that I am giving them to possess. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. God's response to the people of Israel is to tell them that in many ways they're right in this case that he is holy and that it's right for them to be careful, to be afraid of the consequences of offending him. That it's right for them to fear him and to keep his commandments, it says in verse 29, that it might go well with them and their descendants forever. Uh, That they desire to obey God, to experience his blessing, uh, to not get on the wrong side of uh, this, this divine Lord and to be obedient in the land that he is giving them. And so he tells them to return to their tents, to go back down the mountain, that he will give the remainder of the laws to Moses to pass on to the people. Um, That he, he is pleased with their respect for his holiness. And God continues, as he gives the rest of the law to Moses, to remind them, that they have to be careful, they have to obey him, that they have to obey God in order to experience blessing in the land that he is giving them. Verse 32, he tells them, you shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you, Uh, that it's easy for people to stray from God's plan, uh, that Care must be taken to obey the laws and the commands that God gives. It says, you shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Uh, There'll be different things, different obstacles that will pull them in varying directions. And they have to remember who God is, remember his holiness, remember to obey him and to stay on the path, to keep moving forward where God has directed them to go and to not be drawn off that path to not disobey the commands he has given. Verse 33 says, You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you. This is an active experience, that they have to walk in the way he's given them. That implies that the way they live life, uh, they're not just sitting back waiting for God to do things, that they have to walk and live in obedience to him. It says that walk in the way that the Lord has commanded you, that you may live. And this is a theme we're going to see repeated throughout Deuteronomy. Um, that Moses, towards the end of the book, tells the people he's giving them a choice. That they can obey God and choose life. Or they can disobey God and experience death and destruction. 
that obedience to God is the route to life. It's the route to life everlasting. It's the route to true abundant life in the here and now. That obedience to God is life. And again, he reminds them that in order to experience these blessings that he's promised, to be able to take part in the fulfillment of that, they have to obey him. That says, again, at the end of verse 33, that God has commanded you, obey all that God has commanded you, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. That if they obey God, that God will bless them, God will give them success and rest and longevity in the land. But if they disobey, that they will not get to experience that. Uh, God remains faithful, but again, they have a choice here to obey God or to disobey God, to follow his laws or to stray to the left or to the right from them and to experience hardship and punishment because of that. And so our focus point again, that we talked about at the beginning, is that because of God's character, he alone is worthy of worship. And that's what he's reminding the people of Israel with in this message, that God alone is worthy of worship, uh, that he has a special relationship with these people, and he desires their obedience in order to maintain that relationship. The people of Israel had experienced completely unmerited favor from God. God chose them not because of anything they had done, but because of a promise he had made. He rescued them out of slavery in Egypt and chose them to experience special blessings, the land he wanted to give them, success and wealth. Out of his own goodwill and his initiative, God gave these things. And much like the people of Israel, we also have experienced completely unmerited favor from God that God has chosen to bless us, to call us to himself out of our own idolatry, out of the sin of our hearts because he desires a relationship with us, that God takes the initiative to do that out of his own goodwill, out of the love he has for us. And for our New Testament connection this evening, I like to try to kind of tie what's going on here in Deuteronomy with uh, what we're more familiar with in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus said in John 15, verse 16, that you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. That God has chosen a special people to call to himself, that he desires that they would bear fruit and be blessed by him that he has chosen to have a special relationship with a special people for a special purpose, for his glory, for the mission of spreading his name and seeing him made more known and worshiped by more people. Uh, in the Old Testament, we see him doing this with the nation of Israel. We see him doing that with the New Testament, with us, with the church. And so that's our reminder as we go from here this evening, as we wrap things up, that God has chosen us and he has a purpose in that. He desires our obedience and he desires our exclusive worship because of who he is. 
and he is faithful. We can trust him to bring about that long-term ending he has promised because of who he is. We just need to be obedient in order to take part in those more immediate blessings and to be a part of the work that he is doing. So we can trust God to act because of his character and his love for us. Let's go to him in prayer. Thank you, Father, for your word. I thank you for uh, the examples you've given us uh, in the Old Testament, Lord, that were written down that we might learn from them. I thank you for your faithful, steadfast love, God, that we can see your hand working throughout all history to protect those you love, Lord, to bring about your glory, Lord, to make yourself known. I pray that you'd help us to remember that you are worthy of worship and glory. I pray that we would draw closer to you because of that, Lord, that we would um, be grateful for your grace that you've given us, not because of anything we've done, but because of your love. I pray that your faithfulness would help us to have confidence through the ups and downs of life, God, that we would be seeking you in every situation, Lord, and taking part in the work you're doing, grateful for the opportunity you've given us to experience blessing and to be part of your great plan, Father. I pray that you would be with each of us as we go from here, Lord, that you'd watch over us, that you would guide our interactions, our speech, and uh, just the work we do, that we would do it faithfully. We do it diligently. We would do it for your glory. I pray that uh, you would be glorified in our lives here as we worship, Lord, and everywhere we go, that you'd be made known. We ask these things in your name.